You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's up? Good morning, Derek. Good morning. It is a fine, fine weekend, <laughs> and we traveled. We are staying at the St. Lawrence Chateau, but we are with our new friend. So we'll start with introductions, and then we'll dive into your story and hear all about St. Lawrence Spirits. Okay. So you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm uh, Jody Garrett. I'm the owner and founder of St. Lawrence Spirits, and uh, I'm glad to have you guys here. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Greatly appreciate it. So... We'll start with your story and kind of hear about how you got into this business because it's not the easiest thing to essentially start up, um, and you have a massive lineup behind you. So we'll start with uh, we'll start with your story. Okay. Well, we have a, a, a big family farm, and we're trying to figure out what to do with that farm to have it sustainable for our children, so they don't have to lose it for taxes, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um, and we first of all thought we'd have a winery. And then we, so we went to Cornell Wine School and figured out uh, quickly that that's not what we're going to do. We enjoyed the course. We learned a lot about wine. Um, and as we were doing that course, we went to the Finger Lakes um, Wine Trail. And one of, the, one of the wineries had a little still going on in the basement of the garage. So I asked the guy, what are you doing? And he's, oh, I'm making gin and I can't keep it on the shelves. So we thought, can't keep it on the shelves. I asked him, how long does it take? Oh, a couple hours. So for us, the return on the investment was much quicker than mm-hmm. that. So we decided to do a distillery. Initially, we were going to have the distillery at the farm. and uh, But we looked at it and go, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to get people to that without because in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. really. So then this property that we have now came up. And it had been vacant for like five years, and everybody drove by because it, it was too too much. And then one, one day I pulled in the driveway of it, and I asked the uh, – I, I Googled it. I called up my real estate girl, and she goes, oh, uh, let me call you back. She calls me back. She goes, I'm sick to my stomach. It just sold, but the guy doesn't want the building. He wanted to land in front, the water water lots in front as an investment to flip it. So we bought it, and then we uh, put a lot of money into it, geothermal, and then we built our distillery there on top of where the, the pool used to be. That's fascinating. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it used to be it was built as a residence in, in 1937. It was finished, and then uh, the guy died, and he gave it to Sisters of the Holy Cross as a basically a summer retreat for the nuns. Wow. So it went from a nunnery to a distillery. The same vein, yeah, for sure. basically. It's all about spirits, right? <laughs> right. It's all about the spirits. So your, your family farm, yep. was that... When did your family acquire that farm, and what was the purpose of the farm itself? So the farm history is is long history, and, and it wasn't a fa- it was our it's our family farm now, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was actually a, an estate that was put together very early. Um, my grandfather actually stocked the lakes for the original owner in the in the forties uh, with fish, and then I spent all my summers there as a kid. My grandfather was the manager of it for the the, the wealthy industrials that had it, and then. He died. It passed on to two or three different people. And then uh, my wife's family bought that farm 
as an investment property mm-hmm. and to it's a hunting property and uh again it's got that's where we grow all our corn so we got that in 2006 gotcha and then uh we started you know the corn we didn't grow the corn until we figured we could do a distillery then we right. wanted to grow our own corn because that was part of our story is that we're growing it we want to have it as much as as we can of our own stuff so we grow all our own corn there we pick some of the botanicals that go in our uh in our toward gin there and uh it's a, just a great place. So you started growing corn when you figured out that you wanted to do this. How is that process of learning how to not only distill all your spirits, but grow them? Like That has to be challenging, right? Well, for me, I, I always worked on a farm growing up as a kid. So I knew about the farming process, okay. but it but it, it was sod that had been sod for 25 years. So it, the process to get that into corn ground was was quite an, an ordeal. Um, and I what I did is I... I got all the fields ready. I get the fields ready every year, mm-hmm. and then I have a local farmer plant it for me because oh, okay. he's got equipment. They plant such big equipment now. He can he can hit my fields really quick, and then uh, and then they harvest it and store it for us as well. And then we have our own mill where we bring our grains back and mill our stuff. Wow! So <clears throat> there's a lot of different corn variants. Did you know which kind of corn that you wanted to grow, or was that? kind of an experimental process to figure out which one would work best for your spirits so for us it has nothing to do really with which one would work best for the spirits it's which one i can grow okay best because the ground that i have is is kind of wet ground so it has to and it has to be combined so it has to mature so we grow short corn it's an 80 day corn most corn that they feed cows is 120 day corn because it has to, it gets planted last because the farmer who plants it for me is, is doing it at the, as, as he's finishing up. And the same thing when they harvest it. So they plant it, it has to mature and dry down, and then they harvest it when they're done too. So it's, it has to fit into the, my, my farmer mm-hmm. that helps me with the harvesting part of it. It has to fit into their window. So it's, it's, a, short, it's a short corn. It doesn't have to grow tall. It just has to be, have big ears of corn to produce the volume. So then your other mash bill ingredients, we'll yep. say, where do you source those? The farmer who who stores my he's a grain farmer he lives ten miles away he he plants the rye and the wheat for me so it's all okay. right here in the same county. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then getting into the distillery aspect for the equipment, you have the it's now the chateau it was the nun yep. establishment yep. Um, before that the private residence so the distillery is right off to the side. That's um, so in our our Wednesday post uh, we we actually showcase that for you guys so for. That entire process, you have the different, the entire cooking process, essentially, with the fermenters, right. um, and then into the, the still. How was that process, and where did you source your equipment, and then did you have an idea of what you wanted um, going into it? or Right, so my wife and I are both what we call serial entrepreneurs, so we, we'd like to do different businesses. But we also know that education is the key to success mm-hmm. in those businesses. Okay. So the first thing we did before we bought anything equipment or even started anything is we went to Moonshine University in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and we went there multiple times to learn about how to make the stuff and if we really wanted to do it, what the return on investment was going to be. Um, and then that's where we found out which, how to, what equipment to source mm-hmm. and who to get it from. So we used Vendome, which is also in Louisville, because they, they taught the courses and they're very good. So all our equipment is reverse engineered to produce the maximum we can produce for our license. So that's it just starts from one end, it's linear manufacturing. We have our mash bill on one end and our finished product comes out the other end of our line. Um, and so we, we just got ourselves educated. We had no former history in any of the beverage industry for drinking it, mm-hmm. um, which is always a good way to Absolutely. start. <clears throat> Best way to start. <laughs> um, and that's how we got started we just knew we looked at the numbers because for us it's all about numbers Mm -hmm. we looked at the numbers and said okay we could do this this is the process um and then we started making all everybody makes clear stuff to start with because that's what you can make without aging it and you start making a little money back Mm -hmm. as you're aging your whiskey it's fascinating so the first product that you came out with was what gin gin yeah vodka gin and then absinthe were all kind of simultaneous um, but gin was the one that we went to gin, the gin school at Moonshine University. Um, and my son really prototypes the gin. We use these small little laboratory-type stills mm-hmm. where we measure it and keep track of it. 
Um, and you could, gin, you could put a lot of different stuff in gin, and then you just have to figure out what is good and what's bad. Mm-hmm. So you prototype it, and you taste it, and you go, oh, no, I want to take this out. And he can, he has a super palate, so he can he can taste these things. Because we have a scale, like a drug scale, where just tiny little minute things, because we're doing, you know, small batches on mm-hmm. one liter stills. And that's how we did it. And it was prototyped, and then some of the stuff was 20 times to prototype it the way we wanted it, and some mm-hmm. was one. Depending on our learning curve as mm-hmm. we we're as we we're getting going through the process. So when you were taking the, the grains from after they've been harvested and milled and all that stuff, what is your turnaround time from when you mill the grains and then when you put them in your mash bill? Right. So that's that's one of our, our key success points. We think is that we we do just in time milling. So if we're gonna if we're gonna have corn, uh, rye, and wheat, we mill it on a Monday, Tuesday that we're cooking on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it doesn't sit around. It comes directly, and we have a, our mill, we have a scale. So we mill it into, into a scale for the mash bill so we don't have to sort it out when it comes into the distillery. It goes in the distillery in those, one of those big bags, and then everything that's in that bag goes in the in the cooker. Mm. It's all it's all weighed that way. It's consistent, but it's also incredibly fresh, so we get all those oils and stuff stay in there. Sure. Perks of having your own farm. Yes, that helps. So that helps. You, you you said that the stills and all the equipment was reverse engineered to make, meet your specific demand that you can legally put out. Right. Can you go into a little bit more detail on that and why you can stop at a certain number or why you have to stop at a certain right. number of output? Sure. We're, we're a farm-based distillery, and with that, um, our license allows us to make 75,000 proof gallons a year um, in our with our system. And so we reverse engineered it because we didn't want to have to add on to the building or any mm-hmm. of that stuff because it's, it's just not possible with, the, with our footprint that we have and, and the, the way we built the building. So we did it the maximum we could do. Uh, we don't do that much right now, but we're, we're ramping ourselves up as we need it. And mm-hmm. the nice part about it is we can, we can adjust easily because the system's already there. All we have to do is either, we, even if we have equipment failure or something like that, we can easily scale backwards mm-hmm. and, cu- and shut it kind of down in sequence. So it's very flexible. So your, your fermentation process is also different uh, compared to what we've seen throughout the other distilleries that we've, we've looked at. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you have this kind of, what did you call it, like a continuous fermenting or something well, like that? It's, it's, it's not continuous, but what we have is a setup. We have rows of fermenters so that we can, we can, keep the process going so i have uh, four four rows of fermenters at two fermenters each mm. and so that whatever goes in the cooker fills up that fermenter and i can go a morning cook afternoon cook and work our way down so by the time i get to the end i can fill up the first one again that's that has been emptied into the still through the process so that can, i can keep it going if i want to but it's not a continuous it's individual yeah. but it keeps the process rolling nicely. Did you learn all that too through Moonshine University? I'm just so shocked that you guys are putting out such great products because this isn't in like your family history that no. you guys have been distillers for eons, you know? No. So I, I just don't understand how you guys can create such amazing products in such a short time. Well, first of all, it's we we only going to produce the best we can produce. Now we we have dumped some stuff down the mm-hmm. drain, but we kind of made it our our mantra that if it wasn't the best we could make, it would never go to the customer's mouth. It would always we'd always make sure it was the best we could make. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's just about being consistent, uh, having the best equipment you can buy that helps, um, and just paying really close attention to the process because mm-hmm. the process isn't difficult. But if you don't pay close attention to it, you don't get consistency that you need in the spirits and buying. The barrels, the barrels, buy the, we buy premium barrels um, for the aging process, which certainly helps. Yeah. Where do you source those barrels from? The barrels come from Barrel Mill out of Michigan. Okay. It's crazy. The whole operation is just fascinating. So <laughs> you were saying in the summer you got the doors open on the sides. It's obviously extremely hot. How many guys are working that line, um, I guess, at, like, optimum output? Two. Love it. Oh, my God. Two. <laughs> It's okay. It. Yeah, yeah. So, so stay in shape. So yeah. So there, <laughs> it's actually the distillation process in the distillery doesn't take a lot of manpower, um, because the, most of the time you're watching mm-hmm. it happen. The steam, the steam, and the yeast are doing all the work. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the time you're just watching the process to make sure again those, that consistency stays true. And on the gauges on the still, these guys have been doing it long enough now. They can they can watch that gauge and they know. Uh, when they're going to change and cut things off, and they taste it. That's what they're doing. They're sticking mm-hmm. their finger in the stream, coming off, and they're tasting it. They're, they're not drinking it. They're just taking it and touching it to their tongue. And it changes really fast. So when they're doing that, and they can tell in the gauge when they start, they say, oh, we need to start paying attention now because it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. And they're, so they're tasting it constantly, just like this. 
and as soon as it changes, and they just turn a valve and it goes into a separate tank of the of the collection. Okay. And they went to yeah, school, me too. They went to school too. Uh, and so it's 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 just one of those things that just have to, if you pay attention, it's 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 easy. But if you if you mess it up, you can't fix bad. So if you screw right. it up, you got to dump it down the drain because you can't fix it. Now, <clears throat> from the business standpoint, you're trying to find the people that fit the operation the best. Very similar to like the Bills are developing a culture and they're putting sure. pieces in the right place. So from your standpoint, from start to where we are today, what has it been like to kind of bring in the people that you want? Because it's not just a, a spirit and a distillery. You have other aspects of your business. I mean, there's marketing, there's the Chateau, which is a whole separate thing that we right. need to talk about because that's just ridiculous. And then like, which is essentially the restaurant side. Right. Um, so where are you sourcing and how and what's that whole – is it just you and your wife hanging out and just thinking of things? Sometimes it is. So what we do is is we try to separate a little bit because license-wise, I can't be on the Chateau's license or have anything to do with it. I can't be on the checking account or any of that stuff because it's oh. a separation of okay. – it's, it's tied house laws. It's it's just one of those liquor authority things. So they're two, the businesses are separate. The distillery business is one thing. So the Chateau is my customer in, in theory. Gotcha. So – but they also sell mostly my spirits there on purpose because it's it all it all fills mm-hmm. back and forth what we're trying to do back and forth. So <clears throat> sourcing the people is is difficult because we and we've gone through some. So and the salespeople end of things, uh, it's it's a hustle game. I mean, they have to be self motivated. They have to get out and they have to because we self distribute, mm-hmm. which most craft distilleries do. They self distribute. So it's it's a hustle. You got to hire the right people. You got to motivate them the right way. It's easy for us a little bit because we're selling such good products that they don't have to try to sell something that's not good. Mm-hmm. So they can, they can whatever you, whatever they want. And I always tell them, you don't have to sell the whole product line. Sell what the people want because everybody wants something different. And it's amazing to me is different markets of the demographic of the, of the people in those markets buy different products. Like our absence. We got some places they, we sell the crap out of it. And we have some that we, they don't sell any of it because wow. it's, it's the people. Mm-hmm. The demographic and their background of the people in the area – um, is what sells the product. Okay. So for the Chateau side of it, um, who kind of heads that whole operation in theory? Not legally, but in oh, theory. In theory, it's the chef. Okay. The chef, the chef. we don't tell him what to cook. We don't tell him what to put on the menu. We turn that completely over to him. He has. We don't have any restaurant experience. That's his job. Um, and then we have our front of house manager, Mark, and they, they run the Chateau uh, and my wife and I, we just kind of have little inputs like, you know, we'd like to see this. Like I said, we don't tell them what to put on the menu. That's fascinating. Which, I mean, we, we stayed at the Chateau last night. We had dinner last night, and it was just an awesome experience. The The environment that you've in, like, the entire St. Lawrence Spirits community built around this spot, it's just incredible. So you said that he really has free reign to make whatever he wants. Right. I had the salmon last night, and you had the duck. Yes. So... Where are you getting like all of your food from? So we tr- it's a farm to table restaurant. So those those food groups like obviously salmon is we don't we don't right. grow on our farm. Sure, uh, but they're they're most of that stuff comes from not all of it, but most of that stuff comes from farms that are around. Okay, uh, in New York, a lot of them like the duck comes from a farm down by Long Island. That's mm-hmm. the only place he gets the duck from. Um, and we source a lot of local food from local farmers. We we source the the beef comes from our farm. Oh wow! Um, it's part of our still. We call it still to grill. So, because we feed the cows the spent mash for their grain, and they get it year round. So they have the meat. Its quality is just amazing, and, and it's fantastic. So that and it also, it's a waste product. And it's, I get rid of my waste product by feeding it to the cattle, and then the cattle feed it back to the restaurant. Sure. So it's 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 just a fantastic cycle. It's a cycle of life. Yeah, so basically. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so. <clears throat> With your spirits, you've entered some competitions, um, ruffled some feathers with the old timers <laughs> because you're stealing the show. Yeah. So let's talk about the product lineup that's in front of you, um, starting with the, the labels. So we've rated your product on our show, um, and the label and branding section, we do, we dived in for a while just because there's a lot to discuss and, and talk about. Sorry, I said it again. Yeah, there's always sorry. a lot to discuss. But anyways, um, so with your spirits, let's highlight some of the ones that are on the table, starting with the rye. And the story behind it, and then why you have all the different 
Okay. So the first thing we did with our our marketing, we wanted to make sure that when peop- we went to a liquor store, uh, people could say, oh, I, I like their, their vodka, but I got my whiskey drinkers are coming over tonight, and I don't know anything about whiskey. So they, they go, oh, there's the same label on the whiskey mm-hmm. that's on the vodka, so I'm going to go with that. So we tried to make our branding consistent across our whole product line. So everything has a, has our logo on the front. The labels look similar. That way, again, it gives us consistency for the consumer so they can look at it and go, oh, that's I like that stuff. And it, we got that kind of from the wine industry where they don't do that. Mm. They, lots of the wineries, every label is different. And it's so it's you don't know until you get it and then you read it. So we wanted to have it visual where they could see it across the store and go, oh, there's that. I know that label. Um, so before we even started producing any spirits, the first thing we did was come up with our packaging because that was for us that was the most important part to get the consumer's attention would be the marketing part of it. And then when it comes to the spirits in front of me, the I, I like rye. Mm-hmm. I enjoy rye. I always have. So a lot of our products have rye in them. So this one is, is has a unicorn label on it. That's because it's 100% rye, rye grain, rye malt. That's it. There's nothing else, other grain in it. And with that, it just gives this incredible flavor for rye whiskey because people say, oh, rye is spicy and hot and all that stuff. It's not. When it's when the, when you take the corn out and you make it all rye, it just kind of it's 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 just delicious. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to describe it except it's amazing. It's butter. Yeah, every every single product is butter. <laughs> well, it's it's I call it the you know goodness in the glass is like. <laughs> so when we talk about the one hundred percent rye, most distilleries do not do one hundred percent rye, correct? Right. Well, what is like typical from from your studies from a from a rye whiskey? What do people normally put in there? Well, because rye is an expensive grain compared to corn, so. People tend to see to, to, to be a rye whiskey has to have 51% rye, like bourbon has to be 51% corn. So what they do is they, they get that 51% rye or they add a little extra to make the kind of more rye, but uh, then they fill it with corn because it's, it's less expensive. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't use rye malt because rye malt's expensive mm-hmm. uh, compared to malted barley, mm-hmm. which is the kind of the standard. Uh, so in that case, I like rye. I want to be something out of the box, u- unique. So that's where I did 100% rye. And, uh, you know, the, the cost added on, it, when you have a good product, it does it all takes care of itself. Sure. So we talked about the marketing aspect of it. The, the thing that drove us to initially try the product in the first time was the Captain's Flask blue label to it. Right. Because it's so reflective. It's just stunning. So you kept that throughout all of your products. So like the rye knot has the reflective brown label right. which i just think is such a great idea again we wanted to make it visual for people to because like you said people can look go to a liquor store and they go oh that's my favorite before they even get to it to mm-hmm. look at it they could say uh you know that's that's just our unique banding of around the label on all of our stuff and it, and it helps us kind of identify what was the process of building the logo did you <coughs> use that same marketing person so no, we we kind of teamwork, but there's a there's a website called Ninety Nine Designs, and anybody can use it. It's it's a it's a, a web it's a logo design company or mostly, and it's a competition. Mm-hmm. So you you enter a competition level on it, and you put down kind of what you want, and then it goes out to the whole world basically. And they they sit there and you know maybe their grandma's basement in their underwear doing doing this stuff and then you pick your favorites and you narrow it down and the one you pick and choose at the end wins gets the money it's mm-hmm. a it's a contest and it's it's very inexpensive to do it and we've used it several times now the anchor logo is not what we thought we wanted first of all we thought we wanted a sailing ship on our, our label okay and then as that developed we thought well that's going to be difficult to embroider and that type of thing so we simplified it as, as people started sending us their their logos in that's basically how we how we did that to start with. Wow. There's logic behind every decision. Mm-hmm. Like every major decision is just boiled down to the most common de- uh, denominator. Sorry, it's early. Yeah. So speaking of major decision, the naming of your distillery is probably one of the biggest decisions right. ever. So St. Lawrence yes. Spirits, was there other names that you considered for de- starting this distillery? Or was it always we want to be St. Lawrence Spirits? I can't remember. Okay. I think St. Saint, Saint Spirits, when that came up, it was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Sure. I, there probably was other ones discussed. I just don't remember what it was because we wanted to – the St. Lawrence River is our water source, our mm-hmm. only water source. Um, so that's where we 
we wanted to stay focused on the river because it's such a I mean, international, everybody should know where the St. Lawrence River is and what it is in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that, that was just our main focus. Mm-hmm. What's the water like coming out of St. Lawrence River? So the, the St. Lawrence River water is potable right out of the river. So what we do with it, we have a shore well, that, and we pump, we pump it out of the shore well up to the distillery. Um, for our process, all we do is filter the water initially for our cooking process, and that keeps all the hardness, all that stuff in the, that makes good whiskey in there. And then for our um, proofing, we just use a reverse osmosis, and we proof it down with, with reverse osmosis river water. This might be a dumb question, but... No such thing. The There are such things as dumb <laughs> questions. But we're playing, we're, we're playing for points. So when you're taking water from the St. Lawrence River, technically, some of it's Canada, too. Yes. Are, are there any legalities that cross the border with taking water from it? No? No. Okay. No. Derek, if you're standing on it, it's America. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> see, I said it's a dumb question, but I was interested because, like, people don't, first of all, they might not use what water source they're on when they're making their whiskey. And you have a very unique experience because you're right next to the river. I mean, your distillery is right on the river. Right. So there, there's nothing to do. You don't have to. That's interesting. No, because the quantity of water we use compared to what's in the river is minuscule. Sure. It's just. And, and everybody sucks water out of the river. Everybody lives in the river, has a shore well, basically. Oh, okay. That's what the, it's because we don't have public water here. We do here in the village, but out in the town and where I live really? in my house has a shore well. Yeah. Wow. The shore wells are pretty standard around here where it's just the population is spread out. And it's just... It, it makes more sense yeah. to have a shore well than public right. water. That's interesting. I did not know that. I didn't either. So... Even some of the villages use shore wells for their water. The river is their water source. Okay, yeah. and it and it's pretty clean tasting. Like there's no. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. Wow. And did you test it, or did you just have faith in the river? Well, you don't have to. If when you use reverse osmosis, we know that natu- the river is naturally hard. Okay. Naturally hard water, because it's all limestone runoff, mm-hmm. makes good whiskey. We knew that. Mm-hmm. That's right. But we knew the pH of the river was 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 what we were looking for. Um, and How? We did you test for that, or no. did you just? No, knew? we just know. We just we just knew that that people said, oh yeah, the river's going to be good. And, okay. we, and, and we have no public we are, it's a well so we had to have yeah. a well somewhere yeah. even the chateau's on a well right so you so, might as well use it so we had to use the easiest water source that mm-hmm. was available to us which was the river um, and it was obviously turned out really good that's why our label says a spirit of the river in every bottle mm-hmm. because it's that's what we use just literally there. wow okay now the the windmill that's on property right it's still essentially in use or no, the windmill, in a different sense <laughs> So the windmill is just a decoration at this point. Okay. Um, initially, the windmill, when it was built in the 30s, was from a shore well where they would pump the water up, and then that would pressurize the water for the chateau when it was the residence. Um, inside, the, the windmill's gone. I was going to put it back, but I couldn't find any of the pieces, parts to make it work again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But inside, it's still got the water tank that was built in the mm. 30s. I'm trying to figure out how to use that to because it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now... You're sitting at the bar at the chateau. You look out the windows, and the inside of the chateau is white and black, right. which gives contrast to the unbelievable colors that are outside of the windows. Right. And then there's three islands. Right. So can we dive into what someone is looking at when they're sitting at the bar? Because I don't think a lot of people understand what they're looking at, other than, oh, it's it's water, and I feel like I'm supposed to dress up. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, it, it, we, it's, yeah, okay. So... <laughs> What you see out when you first look out, that's the main shipping channel for the St. Lawrence River. So the, the shipping ships, the shipping vessels go right past there as they're going up the St. Lawrence River into the into the Great Lakes system. The first big island you see is Grindstone Island. That's that's a U.S. island. And then off to the to the left, there's a small island. That's Whiskey Island. That's also U.S. And then as you look behind that, that's called Quebec Head. That's Canada. So Canada's in the background. The next the next piece of ground you mm-hmm. see is Canada. So during Prohibition, that's where the whiskey came from Canada into the U.S. They would drop the barrels off at Whiskey Island or the crates or whatever it was. The rum runners would go get it, and then they would distribute up and down the St. Lawrence River in, in communities for the illegal whiskey. So it's it's really – there's a lot of kind of history of pre, uh, Prohibition stuff coming right here. Now, in the basement of the chateau, yep. is there still – kind of that vibe because uh, we haven't explored that yet i don't even know if we're allowed to but is there kind of like an old storage room and you think that the private residence owner had something to do with it or 
I think that no, that the where underneath the terrace of the chateau was originally the kids' playroom. Okay, so it's big. It's it's a big big space. Everybody would love to have their kids' playroom because they it's not in the main house, so it's, right. like, it's down in the basement. Uh, but we use that for storage of our of our barrels and our finished product are stored down there now. Um, initially, we wanted to do a, a speakeasy down there, but mm. the ceiling height wasn't high enough to. What is it? Codes. Is it six feet? Um, no, it's 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 like. It's a little over six feet because I don't bang my head as I as I walk down there. So it's just a little over six feet. Okay. Um, it's, it's it's really cool because all stone and you know we gotta be, check that out. That'd be wait. awesome for a speakeasy, but yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just just we would have to dig it dig down, and right. we weren't gonna do that. Right. Yeah, that's too much. <laughs> yeah. Now the contrast on your your cream. So let's discuss that product. Okay. Um, kind of the story behind it, and then. Your your vision of it going forward. Okay, so the Empire Cream, uh, we we ended all our whiskeys in competition, and they all came back with medals, all and great comments. But one of the whiskeys came back and said, uh, "We love it. We don't know where it fits in your product because we basically had too many whiskeys to, for the sales guys to sell and for the judges to be able to separate out." And kind of the whole creaming of stuff was just is really kind of a new new trend now they they cream everything mm-hmm. um, so what i did is i i went to the creamer i said hey send me a sample which they gladly did i said i want to i want to prototype some stuff so we have a whiskey it's called it's called rising tide it won all kinds of awards it's it's corn and rye because i love rye mm-hmm. and we just started prototyping it so what i did is i i made it at 20 25 30 and 35 proof and i blind taste tested my whole whole restaurant staff because those guys can taste all the good stuff and they all picked the 35 proof and so we because we decided at 35 proof it was comfortable enough to drink on the rocks uh, but you could make a cocktail out of it and would still stand up Mm -hmm. you wouldn't it wouldn't be lost and so we also wanted to make sure, because we're kind of purists, where we don't add anything artificial. So our cream has no added sugar, no added flavor, and no added color. It's just the cream and the whiskey. That's it. And it's, it's amazing. It's just fantastic. How does, how does that compare to the other creams on the market from an well, additive standpoint? So people come to me and they'll say, oh, it's, I've never had a cream whiskey before. And I go, do you like Bailey's? Oh, I love Bailey's. <laughs> Well, that's a cream whiskey, technically, uh, but that's all artificial. I mean, basically, it's made it's got artificial color, artificial flavor, added sugar, and it's made from, you know, a powdered milk process. So we're ours. Ours has nothing artificial. Most of the creams on the market add at least something, and uh, coloring, added sugar, or some other flavor. Mm-hmm. We just use the whiskey and the cream as our flavor. It's it's very light compared to others, um, and silky. Little butter, it's great. Everything is butter. Everything is butter. <laughs> it's got whiskey and it's got butter, in it, right? right? That's right. So the when you traditionally think of bourbon cream or with or some sort of cream product, it comes in a black bottle right. for some reason. Don't know why, but that's <clears throat> industry standard. It seems yours comes in a white bottle. That's very different from what else has been out there. So what was that? Why did you want to go with the white bottle? Again, it's just real simple. We wanted to to stand out. So on the shelf, because they put the kind of the creams all together in the mm-hmm. together and the in the liquor stores, and ours is the only white bottle. There's some cream bottles now coming out, lighter colored bottles. Most of them are dark bottles, so people go, "Oh, what is that?" Because it's just different, and sometimes different. And they can pick it up and they go, "Oh," and they start reading it. And they go, "I'll try this." Mm-hmm. So it was it was intentionally done just to help us stand out on the shelf with the with, especially with the growing cream market, right? What we've talked about this a couple times because we've reviewed a couple creams on our podcast. But is there a reason why it comes not in a clear bottle? No, no. Interesting. We thought that maybe people wouldn't like to look at something that's white inside a bourbon cream, but it's just I've never heard of why. I I think I've heard some stuff, but there's no reason other than some people say if it's in a clear bottle, it looks like milk of magnesia. Mm. Which is never a good thing. Correct. Yeah. So, so if you tip it and stuff, you're going to see the cream, and it kind of leaves that that little bit of a film on sure. the inside. So, if you have an opaque bottle where that doesn't happen, it just is more eye appeal to the okay. to the customer. That's kind of what we were thinking, yeah. but it's, there's no real there's no real reason. Yeah. Okay. So, all you so let's quickly run through what products you have. So you have vodka gin, 
Right. We make four gins. Four different gins. Yep. Okay. And then your cream and what else? So we have, so we do the vodka. We have four different gins. We do two moonshines. And then we have the cream. Uh, outside the Admiral's collection, we have five whiskeys. We make three absinths. And then we have our new Admiral's collection, which is our barrel finished whiskey, basically. Or four different barrels. What barrels are they? So we have, uh, we use port, sherry, cab, and cognac barrels. And we've aged them at different time frames based on how they taste. Mm-hmm. So the way we did that process is we put them in the barrels, and then we started taste taste testing them with with the restaurant staff. And they got they picked. I didn't pick. When mm-hmm. they said it's ready, then we stopped and we bottled it. And when they said no, a little longer, a little longer, and we, until it was done, it's you know no whiskey before it's time, right? So until when it was done, then it was done, and we bottled it, and they're fantastic. <coughs> And that's with your, con- no. Which uh, whiskey is the, the it's our, base? It's a flagship. It's, oh right, it's a, okay. It's a it's gotcha. a corn whiskey. Yeah. It's corn and malted barley, um, aged about four years, and then uh, it's aged in the barrels anywhere between for the, the the secondary finish anywhere between six to eight months, depending on when it's ready. And I can't tell you which. How it's long. I don't remember. Fascinating. When when I first saw these, first of all, you went above and beyond for these labels specifically. You got the stars on there; it looks stunning. The it, it was very cool to look at the different finishing barrels that you chose. Is there any like th- thoughts of expanding that selection to no. different barrels? You're going to no. keep it with the four. Perfect. <laughs> well, no, we may we may uh, no, we may change it if because okay. again, it's all math, right? Sure. So if we've got one that isn't selling, we may say, okay, let's let's look at a different barrel. Mm-hmm. And our chef is the one who helped me pick out which barrels would be taste really good. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a process behind that too, but it's we didn't actually do it. I just researched it because they say if you take your whiskey and you take the, the like the cognac and you put three drops of cognac in it, that's what it will taste like. Kind of. I didn't do that. I just I trusted my chef, and he mm-hmm. said that's what you want. There you go. Yeah. So let's talk about the chef's background. I feel like we should. <laughs> so he's a local cat. Yeah, he's from Ogdensburg, which is 60 miles north up from here. Um, he was Emerald's youngest sous chef, and he was Wolfgang Puck's pastry chef. And he also is the professor for the farm-to-table program at the local college. And it's, and he makes incredible food. It's magic. It's magic what he does. So we don't tell him what to do at all. He just And to watch him do a new recipe is incredible because he'll sit there in a pad of paper and he'll go, and he'll write down this much, this spice, this much of that spice. Now, he's never tasted it together, but he knows what, what the combination should be of what he wants to have. And then they prototype it. And lucky me, I get to taste most of the prototypes <laughs> as, as, in the process. So, like we make, there's no microwaves in our kitchen. Good. He doesn't believe in them. It's just fire and passion, basically, is, is what goes on in the kitchen. It's, oh, yeah. it's, to watch it, and it, every plate is individually cooked. And when they're busy, it's, it's organized chaos to watch. Because yeah. it, and don't get in the way. And, but oh, it's I'm cool sure. to just stand back and watch. And don't ask them a question because they're too busy thinking what the process is going to be to get the food out for everybody on time. And it's So how did you end up getting him at the Chateau if he was Emerald's sous chef? So he, he moved back here. Um, and then he was working at a local restaurant. But it was, it was seasonal. Okay. So we're year-round. So he wanted to work at a year-round restaurant. And, and a farm-to-table was his passion. So we go, that's what we want. Because we, we like to support local farmers and all that. It's all about for us, all about local and, and keeping it local as much as possible. So he he loved that. And that was my wife's passion was one to have a farm-to-table restaurant. So it was just and we hired him. We hired all his whole staff. Oh, okay. Yeah. The restaurant that we hired him from was not very happy. <laughs> uh, but they, these guys came. His staff that was working seasonally was all over the, all over the world, really working in different places off-season, and they all came back to work for us at the Chateau. That's you just, awesome. You just poached it. We did. <laughs> <laughs> it's always fun to steal somebody else's employees because sometimes that's how you get the best ones. Sure. You just, Especially you, nowadays. That's yeah, like the only tough. way to get someone worth it. Yeah, it's yeah. really tough. So the Chateau has we, – we talked about that we stayed there. It has rooms upstairs. <laughs> right. Was that – was that a vision of yours from the start that you wanted to have people stay on premise or what was that process yes. like? So, so we always wanted to have that upstairs as a boutique hotel part of it. And then we expanded some of those rooms into private dining rooms mm-hmm. and we still kept some of the rooms for private 
people to stay. And we've had some funny experiences because there's no TVs in those rooms. We said that last yeah, night. It was amazing. We did that. Amazing. We did that. We have Wi-Fi, but there's no TVs on purpose because we don't want people to hang out in the room. We want them to see the river mm-hmm. and hang out at the bar or or around Clayton. So the, our whole point when we when we got the chateau and that property was to bring it back as a tourist attraction for the whole town, not just for us, but mm-hmm. for the whole town of Clayton. And it, and it works because people, when they come to visit a place, they like to hop around and see what the place has to offer for food and beverage and all that stuff. So uh, that was our, that was always part of our vision. And upstairs, those rooms are original. That's There's nothing changed in those rooms. Were, so they were original bedrooms to the person who that's, owned? Wow. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I have a personal question. Where did you source the beds? <laughs> Because they're fantastic. I, I don't know. So, like, I, I I understand you want people to kind of bop around and see the property and, and not be in the room with a TV. But, man, I – okay, we were done with dinner, and it was, it was what, like 9? Yeah. And 9.30. They were like, all right, who wants to go down and get a drink? I fell asleep within 35 seconds of laying down. And I'm like, I'm going to bed. And I told you, like, dude, I'm going to bed. And you're like, seriously? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm literally falling asleep. And then I wake up, and I, I texted you, I don't want to move. Like this is the softest bed, and it's perfect. Like it yeah. was the it was the perfect balance between firm and soft. And I just I get it. You know, you're not supposed to stay in the room, but I didn't want to leave the bed. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're gonna make the beds harder now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and he was by himself. That's the really scary right. part. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know where we sourced those. It was local. It was a local. Local well, store. Well, cheers. Know. That was yeah. those are. I mean, my wife's still sleeping. <laughs> She's not gonna move until like ten thirty. It's. The rooms are set up perfectly because it, it was – I mean, we keep talking about it being a house before that. Yep. The the views outside of the room are the river. Right. So there's – you don't want a TV in there. That was one of the first things that we said is yeah. I'm just so happy that there's not a TV right. in here because you just look and everything's framed perfectly. And we, it's round. Yes. The whole building The whole building is set up – each room has a view of the river. Mm-hmm. And so the, the guy who built that, I mean, he, he's a genius because he, he built that for himself. He didn't build it for to be a restaurant. It was called Fairview Manor for a reason. Mm-hmm. Every room had a fair view. That was always mm. what it was. And it's on the National Historic Registry. Uh, and so even even the rooms downstairs, the dining rooms and the bar area downstairs, all have that same curved so they can every room can see the river. And it was completed in 1937. Seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's – that place is great. I mean, everybody – if because we – in the – tasting room last night we were talking to locals and they're quote-unquote locals like they're here seasonally right. and then they live out of state and right. they're like we literally just come here and basically drink the day away and hang out like yeah. it's it's like the um the woman that's always behind the bar sarah yep. sarah she's got her crew and they come in and hang out but it's so unique because there's the bay down the road but if you're driving through you like have to stop yeah clayton is the gem of the river uh alex bay is nice, but in the summertime, it's where all the college kids go. Mm-hmm. Oh. Alex Bay is more the family town. Okay, and then Cape Vincent down downways is kind of like the sleepy little little town. It's it's just these three different towns all in a row on the river, um, but Clayton is the one that where where the families go, and it's a little more mature and not you know college kids around. Yeah. So let's talk about the tasting room here, where we are. So we're not too far from the distillery. We're only a couple miles from the right. distillery. It's seven minute drive. Yeah. So. What was the thought process on opening up a tasting room? This was obviously after you purchased the distillery in, in the area. So right. what was what was the thought of getting downtown? So that that's a really simple decision process. Again, it's, it's all about it's all about numbers. It's yeah. all about math. So so we were as a distillery, we're allowed to have one tasting room. So we chose here because this is where the people walk up and down the street. And then we could always push them to the distillery and the restaurant from here by showing them videos and all that stuff. So we wanted to have we, we, you couldn't buy a billboard. There's, you can't put a billboard up down mm-hmm. here. So you couldn't even. Ha- the only way to have the marketing to move people up to the distillery was to have a spot like this, where you can tell them, hey, you can go there for dinner, or or other friends in the village that have great beer and all that stuff. We can we just pass our customers around because mm-hmm. um, it's a small town. I mean, there's this town has like. 3,000 people in it permanent. In the summertime, it's like 9,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they come and go, and, and the hotel's right here. The mm-hmm. hotel, uh, you know, they, they sent people down through here. And for us, it was an easy decision. And then this was actually a clothing shop initially that had closed. And then we just kind of redesigned it and laid out the, the, the tasting the tasting bar. It has a dock on one side. It looks like the back of a boat, 
that was all you know we just figured it out what would fit so you can have one tasting room for distillery and it doesn't have to be attached just not you're allowed one off premise okay and then we're trying to change that because the the beer and wine can have five mm. and we want to have five absolutely because we we just know that they're great for for marketing um, because pe- once people taste the product they want to work and they buy it at home mm-hmm. um and so we we distribute across all of New York, and now we're, we're we can sell uh, direct ship to New York customers online. and online. Yep. And then some. What we do is a little different. Is uh, we try when people order online, we also tell them, "Hey, this is the liquor store by you." I, I put a card in it in each box that says, "This is your local liquor store," because we want oh. them not to buy online. We want them to save save money for the shipping and stuff and buy at at the local liquor stores mm-hmm. as well. Um, so that's it's kind of a it's, it's a tedious process, but it, it works. We just put a card in there that says, hey, this is your two local closest ones to you. No doubt. It's, it's awesome customer service. <clears throat> Talking about price of them, right. they're ridiculously well-priced for the quality of product that you have. What? Because you can look at market of what are other people selling their bourbon cream for, right. and you can see that you're lower than most, if not all of them. So what is your pricing model, and how have you decided what something is worth right it, and it, for us it's real simple we know what it, we start with the, what it costs what it costs us to produce that's every every product i have a spreadsheet that's that that i know and i can change whenever the the, the stuff changes mm-hmm. of what they all start with the cost and then i look at first thing i look at is how much alcohol per volume because the alcohol is what you pay tax on it's what you 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 pay money on to create and I, it's just simple math because I like I like I don't like to be complicated. So I, that's why all the whiskeys are like all the whiskeys, other than the, some of the higher ones, are all the same price because mm-hmm. that's easy for me. It's easy for my sales guy to say, "Oh, it's, this is what it is." Um, so for us, it, it was math, and we know what it costs to make it. We don't, and we want to sell it, but we don't. We're not going to sell it too cheap either. We want to make sure that we're making what we the, the right margin on it, but we don't need to overprice it either. Right? Because it's all it's all a game. If you there's a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And, and anything you anything you want to sell, if if you if you make a certain amount, it's worth a certain value. If you sell it too cheap, you're kind of you got to make more at, at a lower value. If you price it too high, then what you make you can't sell. Sure. Mm-hmm. So so whatever the system it comes back to our system, what our system is going to produce and keep producing is our starting point, um, and then we can go up or down a little bit as we need to. So perfect. You said like there's a standard price point, but there's also a standard proof point yes. with this. All of your products outside of like some of the, the specialty ones and the barrel strength ones are 90 proof. That's right. Is that your preferred proof point or is that just something that collectively it was understood that this is what it tastes the best? So to, some of that's com- combined. So 90, 90 proof is something that a whiskey can make a good cocktail out of it and still taste the whiskey. Mm-hmm. You don't want to water it down and go, oh, I thought, where's the whiskey? It's, and plus, it's still comfortable enough to drink on the rocks as a standard. Most people, mm-hmm. that's that they're they're comfortable with that. And and then the specialty ones, if they're higher proof, like our icebreaker, it just has to be really good and really smooth, so it doesn't kick you in the face, mm-hmm. which it, it doesn't. Uh, because some people, the, the the whole barrel strength thing is a is a, people like that. Whiskey drinkers, they like the barrel strength mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. When we when we had the icebreaker on our show. Um, we, we talked about how smooth it was, but we also probably incorrectly said the mash bill. So when we're talking about mash bills, you're not outlining specific percentages on your website. Right. It's more of what are the main ingredients and the flavor right. and grain that's in there. When when you're looking at some of these products, your, your whiskey, obviously it has to be 51% corn. But what is your next flavor and grain that is more prominent in that stuff? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, rye, rye is a spicy grain. Wheat is a softer grain, so it gives you a softer mouthfeel. It kind of mellows things a little mm-hmm. bit. Rye kind of brings it up. Um, so, so, so corn, and we play with that. We, that was a very specific way we, we did our process. We were prototyping when we first started. Moonshine University mm-hmm. gave us ideas and kind yep. of a structure of what we should do. And then we made it as moonshine, and we tasted it as moonshine and go, let's let's see if we can't change that just a little bit. And, and we don't. Our, our mash bills are very consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't produce what they are. But even if I told you exactly what I had, and I don't know, I don't know off the top of my head. My son would know. I don't know. 
what we if you could do that and some other distillery said, oh, I want to make that, it would not taste the same because sure. the water's different, the grain is different, just the atmosphere of the barrels. If they have sourced different barrels from somewhere else, even if they source it from the same pl- mm-hmm. place, it's that's why each distillery is so cool because the products are theirs; they're unique. Right now, you can mass produce them somewhere else, and and they might t- not taste the same, but the, the little guys, the craft guys that are making them, it's going to be very consistent but it's just different even if it's we're making the same mash bill sure so you, you seem like a very numbers and analytical guy yeah. what did you do before doing this and going to moonshine university well i spent i spent 10 years in the army right out of college um and then i joined my family the family business that now i own which is an overhead door grad door company um which i still own my other son runs that so i had no history in in this but i was always a time resource guy sure. time resource manager that was what that was the, the, the number one thing um, in numbers you always there's always that sweet spot mm-hmm. so for me it was always about not selling a product too cheap just to sell it you got to sell it for the right price mm-hmm. and not too much either you got to sell it for the right price wow. now 2019 shows up you enter something right into a competition right. and then what happens so what what product did you enter and then what was the result so we entered. We entered the, the in that competition. We entered whatever you're producing. You can enter. So I entered. I entered everything I was producing, um, and we did re- very well. We got New York State Distillery of the Year plus a whole bunch of other awards. Um, so that was our first. That was our first time entering the contest. Was in 2019. Uh, we got New York State Distillery of the Year, which we, again we did. We was great because you get a little instant. Uh, respect in the business from the customers mm-hmm. because they may have never tasted it. We go, oh, it's New York State Distillery of the Year. It must, it must be something. Um, and then this last year, we entered con- the same contest again with some of the same products and a few others, and we won it again. This time, we won two of three best of shows, and it won for a Captain's Flask and one for our Lafay Rouge Absinthe. We won Platinum Awards um, and our Rising Tide Whiskey and our um, Panay Square Gin, our Tuar Gin. And then with with the the captain's flask scored so high, we also got the governor's cup. My gosh! So yeah, we we're, we've been doing very well in the in the so competition. Congrats! Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, it's incredible. Winning distillery of the year. What what goes into that? Do you have to s- submit a certain amount of number of products that get judged, or h- how do you win distillery of the year? So it's it's a competition and it's cumulative. So what, however products that they have to be made in New York has to be followed the New York State gotcha. rules so whatever products you add and then your scores that you get are, are cumulative to that but when you win four platinums it certainly helps <laughs> yeah you ain't kidding yeah so behind us if it's not in the shot it's I'll, I'll like make sure right I, up yeah I'll here. make sure we get a yeah, photo right. of it but your trophy yep. it's been chilling for two years <laughs> nice job and then you got the banner right across and as soon as you walk in it's just like oh okay like these guys they know what they're, they know what they're doing it, 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 and we try to use it as part of our marketing because yeah. it does it does give you legitimacy right off the mm-hmm. right off the bat mm-hmm. and, it's, and we also have a little a little stamp on all our bottles that's on there so people are looking at stuff uh, it's just gives them one more thing to, to say oh look, this is cool especially New York State product they want to take it home and show their friends hey this is what I what I was drinking up in New York sure if they're not from here so the blue and the red trophy up there what are those from those are from the, so that competition those okay. are the best of shows oh okay trophies man yeah it's just incredible yeah it's, it, was, it was quite an honor no kidding so your family that's involved in the business it's, it's yourself your wife and then your son's the head distiller that's right and then anybody else nope just crushing it. That's it. Okay. Love it. That's it. And you wow. guys are just putting out award-winning whiskey. This is it's insane to be here and it's, to look at your operation. It's it's so much fun. And and it's a fun business. It really is. It but you gotta hustle. You can't right. you can't just sit back and go, Oh, okay, I'm just gonna take it easy now. There's no taking it easy. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's a hustle. And because you gotta sell a certain volume. Um, and if you don't sell that volume, then you're like, oh boy. We got to we, somehow we got to come up with another process to sell more. So we go in the summertime. We go to tons of shows and events all over the state. Um, those the, like festivals mm-hmm. that they have, like Christmas in the country out in Buffalo, right. and all those different shows. They're fabulous, and it gets the product out, and customers taste it, and then they buy it, and then they go back to the local liquor stores, and they they keep going as as it goes. Yeah, and they keep demanding for it. Exactly, at the local stores. Yep, yep. So you said to 
you're working with some of the the New York State um, liquor authority or people within New York State to try to get two tasting rooms for a distillery. Are you part of some sort of New York? Right, like you Distillers Guild or something? Yeah, the New York State Distillers Guild. Okay. They're, okay. they're the, really the one that's lobbying um, th- through a couple other agencies to get they talk their voice yeah. to the to the regulators for the liquor authority um, and for any of the the like we just had this, uh, some tax stuff. They were they lobbied all for that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a great organization, especially for the local distilleries to be in because they give you a bigger voice. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and they help you out. Yeah. Yeah. They. They. And they're all. They're all smart guys. And if you have a question, you want to talk to them. It's like, hey, you know, what are you doing for this? And they'll. We all tell each other what we're doing because we can't really mimic each other. You might copy each other a little bit, but it's not the same. It's, the products just aren't going to be the same. And especially with yours, because you're not sourcing anything. You're growing everything here. So there's no chance that anybody else can make the exact same product as you because they don't have your farm. Well, it's, <laughs> well and here's the key point of that is the tawar, the ground. Mm-hmm. Where the stuff is grown affects the flavor of the grain. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. So, right. and so that's where all my stuff, all the grains are grown, uh, in, in except for the malt is grown in Jefferson County. And then the malts out of Batavia. It's all New York State malt, mm-hmm. and the cream is out of Batavia. That's all New York State cows. So it's like it's like it's really cool. That's fascinating. Good for you guys. It's amazing. So from a social media standpoint, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, and you also have different accounts for your distillery and your chateau. That's right. We have different different stuff. Which is St. Lawrence Spirits on Instagram, I believe, and then SLS Chateau on Instagram also. I don't so, know. Yeah. I don't, so I don't follow the Instagram. I don't, I don't we've been posting about, about your place all weekend, so yeah. I have the handles memorized at this point. Yeah. But um, do you have a separate social media team to handle some of that stuff? So... So the answer is is yes and no. Okay. So we have it. We do have a social media company that we use that does our takes care of our website. They help us with our uh, changes to our online shipping and that type of thing. And then we we post we we post ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. So they they kind of do the bigger things where we're targeting certain markets, sure. uh, and they take care of that because they're they're the expert at how to do that. Yeah, the algorithms and everything. Yeah, they they mm-hmm. they have all that stuff. And then what we do is. Uh, from the chateau they'll post on the on the chateau's facebook and i'll post on on the distillery facebook and then they'll call me up and say hey do you want me to boost that for you because it's and i say sure because I, I it's easier <laughs> if they do it because yeah. if i try to boost it because i'm a little bit you know illiterate when it comes to that stuff is it gets kicked back for one reason yeah. or another and they know how to tweak it just right so facebook will will let it fly gotcha we were going crazy we did a boosted post when we first started and it got kicked back because you didn't put the ages right yeah. because we're technically we do alcohol content and yeah. since we didn't say it was 21 and over it got pushed back then we just stopped promoting or too many too, yeah. many too many uh, words for the picture all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff yeah so now it's just we're fully organic at this point like we just we don't boost anything anymore we just hang out so ours too for the chateau is that open all the time 24 7 no so the chateau is open open for Dinner Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. For brunch Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, and Monday. I'm sorry, and Monday. Okay. Uh, we're closed Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's that's pretty much year round. We do close down for the month of January, just for because there's no people mm-hmm. here. And we close. We and then we just do some maintenance, repair, clean up stuff, change equipment if we need to, um, and then that's that's it's open. That's wow. great. And for some people to come in, if they wanted to book a room, you can still book rooms, yeah, right? Yeah, you have to make a reservation for yeah. everything. What's, do you have a – is that through the Chateau website? It is. Okay. Yep, it's on the Chateau website. If, if the people want to come, for, you know, for, even for brunch, you have to have a reservation because it's just that busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for sometimes in the summertime, you have to make a, your reservation a month in advance because wow. it's packed. Which we did too. Yeah. Yes, you Cause, did. Yeah, because we were discussing for a while, and it's like, what what actually makes sense? And you're like, obviously, say Valentine's Day weekend, get over yourself. Like you're not going to yeah, be no, here. No, no, like, yeah. that's, that's been I, booked for three I years. I couldn't even eat there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, so funny. It's so funny. But you know, if you want to go out to dinner, and you didn't make a reservation, I didn't make a reservation. Like, no, sorry, there's no room. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a re- I don't have a reserve table just to go. It's like, <laughs> yeah. no, sorry, Mark's yelling at you. It's like, yeah. Jody, what do you th- what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Not happening. <laughs> Mark's yelling at you. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it happens. He's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the whole staff is great. Or, or we get friends. They'll come. Say, they'll say, um, Jody said to mention his name. Now I didn't tell him that. 
but they'll do that thinking it's going to help. And it's like, no, th- no, we're booked. Sorry, we're booked. Mark's probably like, Jody did not say that. <laughs> yeah, I, he knows. He yeah, knows, he knows better. Yeah, he knows I'm not yeah. going to say that. That's awesome. Uh, so you're tasting room here. Do you know the hours of this spot? Is it open? It changes. Okay. It changes seasonally. Um, it's open. 11 a.m. Today, at least. Yeah, until like 5 today on Sunday, I think. Okay. But in the summertime, it expands because when there's people here. And if you're down here. And you show up at five, and you want—they're not going to kick you out the door. Mm-hmm. Right. Sarah's going to Sarah's going to take care of you, and, and until she gets sick of you, and then right. she's going to ask you to go. But no, they—they they stay open, and because uh, we've we know what the hours need to be, and they, in the summertime, it's it's just seven days a week. Mm-hmm. It's just simple math. Yeah, it's math. Yep, it's just math. Everything wow. is math. Well, well, thank you. Yes, thank you for everything. Thank you for being on. Thanks for making amazing spirits. I don't know if I'll ever buy another bottle. I just want all of these for the rest of my life. They're they're fantastic. And if you guys have not tried St. Lawrence Spirits whiskey or any of their products, even your vodka, we had it last night. There's so much to talk about, and we've been jumping all over the place because we've been here for 24 hours at this point. But your vodka, too, it's just insane. It's water that'll put you to sleep. Yeah. Because it's not vodka. And that's it's the, something else. I, I'm convinced it's something else. And that's the base for the gin and the absinthe. So it's it's it just follows through the product line. You have to go buy their products. I'm yeah. We're serious. So thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Go check out their social media and come down to Clayton, New York, especially during the summertime. The views are beautiful, and you're not going to regret it. Or come up based on where you are in the state. Right. Yeah. Exactly. True. Good deal. Well, thank you very much. Thank appreciate you guys. It. Appreciate it. Thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.